Section 1 of Birds, Volume 1, Number 6, June 1897. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Section Birdsong I cannot love the man who doth not love, as men love light, the song of happy birds. It is indeed fitting that the great poets have ever been the best interpreters of the songs of birds. In many of the plays of Shakespeare, especially where the scene is laid in the primeval forest, his most delicious bits of fancy are inspired by the flitting throng. Wordsworth and Tennyson, and many of the minor English poets, are pervaded with bird notes and Shelley's masterpiece, The Skylark, will long survive his greater and more ambitious poems. Our own poet, Crunch, has left one immortal stanza, and Bryant and Longfellow and Lowell and Whittier and Emerson have written enough of poetic melody, the direct inspiration of the feathered inhabitants of the woods, to fill a good-sized volume. In prose, no one has said finer things than Thoreau, who probed nature with a deeper ken than any of his contemporaries. He is to be read and read and read. But just what meaning should be attached to a bird's notes, some of which are the least disagreeable of noises, will probably never be discovered. They do seem to express almost every feeling of which the human heart is capable. We wonder if the mockingbird understands what all these notes mean. He is so fine an imitator that it is hard to believe he is not doing more than mimicking the notes of other birds, but rather that he really does mock them with a sort of defiant sarcasm. He banders them less, perhaps, than the catbird, but one would naturally expect all other birds to fly at him with vengeful purpose. But perhaps the birds are not so sensitive as the human brothers, who do not always look upon imitation as the highest flattery. A gentleman who kept a notebook describes one of the matinee performances of the mocha, which he attended by creeping under a tent curtain. He sat at the foot of a tree, on the top of which the bird was perched, unconscious of his presence. The mocha gave one of the notes of the guinea hen, a fine imitation of the cardinal or red bird, an exact reproduction of the note of the phoebe, and some of the difficult notes of the yellow-breasted chat. Now I hear a young chicken peeping, now the Carolina wren sings cheerily, 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 now a small bird is thrilling with a fine insect tone. A flicker, a wood peewee and a phoebe follow in quick succession. Then a tufted titmouse squeals. To display his versatility, he gives a dull performance which couples the go-back of the guinea fowl with the plaint of the wood peewee, two widely diverse vocal sounds. With all the performance, there is such perfect self-reliance and consciousness of superior ability that one feels that the singer has but to choose what bird he will imitate next. Nor does the plaintive melancholy note of the robin, that pious bird, altogether express his character. He has so many lovely traits, according to his biographers, that we accept him unhesitatingly as a truly good bird. Didn't he, once upon a time, tenderly cover with leaves certain poor little wanderers, isn't he called the bird of the morning, and evening as well, for you can hear his sad voice long after the sun has himself retired? 
The poet Goldrich claims the credit of first using the owl's cry in poetry, and his musical note, to wit to who, has made him a favourite with the poets. Tennyson has fancifully played upon it in his little songs to the owl, the last stanza of which runs, I would mock thy chant anew, but I cannot mimic it. Not a whit of thy to who, thee to woo to die to it, thee to woo to die to it, with a lengthened loud hollow, to who, to wit to wit to who. But Coleridge was not correct in his claim to precedence in the use of the owl's cry, for Shakespeare preceded him, and Tennyson's first song to the owl is modelled after that at the end of Love's Labour Lost. When roasted crabs hiss in the bowl, then nightly sings the staring owl, to who, to which to who a merry note. In references to birds, Tennyson is the most felicitous of all poets, and the exquisite swallow song in The Princess is especially recommended to the reader's perusal. Birds undoubtedly sing for the same reasons that inspire to utterance all the animated creatures in the universe. Insects sing and bees, crickets, locusts and mosquitoes. Frogs sing and mice, monkeys and woodchucks. We have recently heard even an English sparrow do something better than chippa. Some very pretty notes escaped him, perchance because his heart was overflowing with love thoughts, and he was very merry, knowing that his affection was reciprocated. The elevated railway stations, about whose eaves the ugly hastily built nests protrude everywhere, furnish ample explanation of his reasons for singing. Birds are more musical at certain times of the day, as well as at certain seasons of the year. During the hour between dawn and sunrise occurs the grand concert of the feathered folk. There are no concerts during the day, only individual songs. After sunset, there seems to be an effort to renew the chorus, but it cannot be compared to the morning concert when they are practically undisturbed by man. Birds sing because they are happy. Bradford Torrey has given with much felicity his opinion on the subject as follows. I recall a cardinal Grosbeak, whom I heard several years ago on the bank of the Potomac River. An old soldier had taken me to visit the great falls, and, as we were clambering over the rocks, this Grosbeak began to sing, and soon, without any hint from me and without knowing who the invisible musician was, my companion remarked upon the uncommon beauty of the song. The cardinal is always a great singer, having a voice which, as European writers say, is almost equal to the nightingales, but in this case the more stirring martial quality of the strain had given place to an exquisite mellowness, as if it were, what I have no doubt it was, a song of love. C.C. Marble, to be continued. End of section 1